The following is a presentation of ComedyVoices.com. Joey, we're less than a week away from the Iowa caucuses, and we have a big 2016 presidential campaign update at the end of this program. And we got a segment on reparations. Yeah, Ta-Nehisi Coates and Bernie Sanders. It's really interesting. Do enjoy. Hey, it's time to visit ComedyVoices.com. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. Led by stand-up labs and UCB comedy, you'll get your fill of cutting-edge laughs to get you through the daily grind. Subscribe to your favorite show now on ComedyVoices.com. A digital media production. Coming to you from the top of the stand-up New York Comedy Club... This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by ComedyVoices.com. Find your voice. Very serious. everyone to the highest rated podcast in America with the word mandatory and Samson in the title. The one and only mandatory Samson podcast. Welcome aboard. I'm Chris. That's Joey. Hey, Joey. Hey, guys. Nice little program lined up today, Joey. This is our last show before the Iowa caucuses. Oh, say it isn't so. No, it is so. It is 100% true. Couple of quick hits at the top of the show. We got an Oregon militia and 2016 presidential campaign update and a substantial bit about Tanahasi Coates, Bernie Sanders, and reparations. Okay. This is something I've been seeing over the last week, two weeks, that I've had mixed emotions about, and now I've, I've made up my mind and I understand the argument better. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the program. It's going to involve me reading some passages from some articles, so oh, nice. it'll be like a little bit of story time, but I think it's worthwhile, because it's something I've been thinking about. It's like an ideological argument. All right. It's not necessary. The way I was looking at, well, whatever. We'll, we'll get into we'll get it a into little it bit. Then. Yeah, we'll get into it a little bit later. I want to say this: the Flint uh, Waters. Oh, by the way, John Fatigate, thank you for uh, producing the show. A rare honor today. My my pleasure. Thanks. Um, we got Flint, Michigan uh, update next week. Okay. We had a lot to go with this week, but I, I'm working on some stuff. I bookmarked a bunch of articles, so we'll get back into Flint, Michigan next week. Before we do anything, how was the blizzard, Joe? Did you have a nice? Uh, the blizzard wasn't bad for me mm-hmm. but it does relate to the fuck up of the week oh really yes what a nice tie-in do you want to do the fuck up of the week yes let's Go do ahead. it you ready yeah this week's fuck up is very sad but nonetheless it's still a fuck up no on saturday night after the blizzard uh-huh. sasha lynn rosa and her son and daughter messiah and shanae were trying to keep warm in a white mazda why the fall oh no you know what no no no, 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 no. We're, we're not doing this we're i know this, this story no we're not doing this story okay. did, did a bunch of people die in this story yeah yeah i don't want to do i don't want to do that one okay not the top of the show that's fucked up i'm sorry by the way can i tell you something else yes oh you're oh, so happy the soundboard's back i love the soundboard i got a couple of new ones do you want to hear a couple of the new ones yeah hit me hard oh. my father was a bartender oh marco <laughs> rubio good point Carly Fiorina, God rest you. We miss you. Innovation. Innovation. Innovation, not regulation. Okay, so the soundboard is back. If we feel the necessity, we'll play some of that. Are you happy? I'm ecstatic. All right, we're not going to do a death fuck up at the week at the top of the show. No good. Okay. 
Before we do anything, before we get into any of this stuff, the quick hits that we got, I got some shout outs, all right? Mm-hmm. Thanks to the guys at the Brain Bus Podcast for the t-shirts. We got them. We appreciate Joey has one of the t-shirts here. If you guys are watching live or watching on YouTube, you can see the t-shirt. We appreciate it. Thank you. You guys can go to the brainbuspodcast.com, check those guys out, and uh, we appreciate their support. Sam on Snapchat says he needs more Bernie impression for me, and I hear you loud and clear. Uh, I'll try to work that in at some point, maybe during the show, but definitely in the next couple of weeks we'll do it. Okay. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Yes. We also have a shout out to Michael K. Hudson on Snapchat. He sent me a picture of a kid in a bubble. Okay. <laughs> like a, someone like blowing a bubble. Remember, because that's my debate. Uh, I get yeah, in the bubble. You get and, in a bubble. And he said, that's man Sam in the bubble. I said, thank you. Huh. Ian on Snapchat asked if this is idiocracy uh, with all the Trump and all the nonsense that's going on. Mm-hmm. It maybe it is a little bit. Sure. It is. And I also want to give a final shout out to Benit on Snapchat. He's a big fan of the show. He sent some really nice... Uh, you know, nice comments, appreciates what we do oh, here. thank you. So, yeah, we love you, and thank you very much. We really appreciate it. One note before we get into this. Is it a big note? And yeah, I don't know. It's like a, you know, it's a note. Did I write big note? No, it's just a note. No GOP debate coverage next week. There's a debate no. tonight. There's a debate tonight. Uh-huh. If you're listening to this, it actually already happened, but it's dumb because the Iowa caucus will have happened before the next episode that we do. So I'm not going to do a bunch of coverage on the debate. There's already going to be a vote. We're going to have a lot to talk you about. You just don't want to do it because Trump's not going to be there. Is that what it is? You know, I mean, that's pretty much why I watch. He's my guy. I have a question. What if he pulls like a wrestling move and he goes halfway into the show and then hits Ted Cruz with a chair or something? I like what you're thinking. Yeah, out of the rafters. He's got yeah. some kind of like long leather coat on and then a, while tr- while Ted Cruz is saying his crap and then just tr- it's like, oh my God, Trump with the chair. And he just yep. does it. I don't know. Uh, I'd be into it. Okay. That'd be the highest rated <laughs> debate in the history of uh, mankind. Everyone turns in at 1030 to watch the chair shot. Yeah. Or he just starts tweeting like, I wonder who's going to show up at 11, you know, like, <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. You ready to get into this first story? Yes. This is one we've had for a couple of weeks. I've been sitting on this one uh, because we did, la- we did a bunch of the coverage last week, so we didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. ISIS cash. This is just a fun story. It's a quick one. According to the U.S. military, an airstrike targeting an ISIS quote, cash and finance distribution center near Mosul, Iraq, carried out as part of Operation Inherent Resolve, which is what we're calling this thing. The title? This week's title is what we're calling I don't know. Why don't you write that down? That could be a good one. Okay. Operation Inherent Resolve. They destroyed a warehouse with uh-huh. this airstrike containing millions of dollars in cash. So are you picturing what I'm picturing? I don't know. There's it, a video, so, but good. Okay. It's just a huge room with cash in it. Uh-huh. Kind of like in... A, uh, in um, the dark night when the joker lights the yeah it's it's, that's exactly what it's like yeah it's just a pile of cash sitting there we got a quote from u.s defense department officially says we estimate in the millions of dollars from all their illicit stuff oil looting extortion blah 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 i like that story here's why because we we think about it all in very abstract terms of like airstrikes and we have to infiltrate and do all the shit what if we just blow up their money that's actually going to affect them in a really specific uh, effective way so I, I just really like that story it just it, amused me it does but my question is uh-huh. why the hell would you have a pile of cash like what if someone finds out and storms the goddamn building to take all that money I think he's a, a man with a worldview that doesn't fit reality what do you want them to do Joe their worldview doesn't fit reality they can't they don't have a bank what bank are they going to put their money in? They have to just put it in a rolled up hundred. They, they are overseas. Oh, uh, that's it. That's all. I just okay. wanted to bring up on that. Planned Parenthood 
sues the Center for Medical Progress. This is something we haven't talked about in a while, but we've gotten into the Sting videos. Yes. We talked about that whole deal where the editing doesn't hold up and it wouldn't hold up in court and all this stuff. Now, little comeuppance for the old Planned Parenthood. The lawsuit filed on January 14th is against Center for Medical Progress, its leader, David Delayden, and his alleged co-conspirators. Uh, it outlines, the lawsuit outlines a very complex conspiracy that ran for nearly three years mm. and claims that the Center for Medical Progress violated the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act while, quote, engaging in wire fraud, mail fraud, invasion of privacy, great show, Joe Santagato, Kate Wolf, illegal secret recording, and trespassing. So in their attempt to go after the abortion clinic, make up all this stuff, yep. release all these videos, somebody's probably going to go to jail and they're going to lose some cash over this thing. Just a little cash? I think it's a lot of cash. I don't know what the punishment would actually end up being, but it's just an interesting update to it. And of course, Planned Parenthood, we'll see. We'll see what comes of the lawsuit, if they're guilty or not. But you got to assume they're going to be. It was a bullshit, made-up uh, operation they were dealing with. Well, the thing about this, Planned Parenthood has asked for restitution of actual damages and um, for triple damage. Damages for violations under the Civil Rico claim. Not only that, they're also looking for right, reimbursement or, 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 of attorney's fees. Yeah, well, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that hits you hard at the end. You, you lose and you got to pay for the other person's lawyer. But that makes sense. And the Rico predicate, that's all tied up in like mafia lawsuits and things like that. But it adds more uh, time and more damages yes. to a, a certain charge. Yeah, whatever. Good. I mean, let's let's see what happens. Don't if you have a legitimate argument against abortion, fine. I mm-hmm. have no problem with you doing that, but don't I hate when people can't make their argument without making up facts or distorting something. If your argument holds water, then that argument is is good enough it's itself. Valid. You know, yeah, and if it doesn't catch on, then people don't agree with you and that's just how it works. And also, we have to thank Texas for doing a, a I, good move. I will not thank Texas, Joey. But the ground Joey cleared Planned Parenthood and indicts its accusers. Yeah, I did see that. That's a separate story, right? Yes. That Okay, do you have anything on that, or is that all I, you were just going to bring up? I, I was just going to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, there's another separate thing, but they're not involved with the Center for Medical Progress, though, I don't think. Your boy, though, uh, David. Boy, David Delighton. Yes, yeah. is, uh, is indicted for tampering with government record, which is a second-degree felony. Oh, okay, so there's a separate... A separate thing. Oh, Christ. Yeah, this guy's fucked. And... Uh, is indicated on the count of prohibition of the purchase and sale of human organs, a class A misdemeanor, according to the Harris County District Wait, say Attorney. that one again. What is that? What? What? Read that last thing you just said. What is the charge? A p- prohibition of uh-huh. the purchase of and sale of hu- human organs, which is a class A misdemeanor. Prohibition of that. So what did he try to get involved with that somehow? No, 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 no. no. What, what they're saying is by him making the video. Uh-huh. Oh, he's, he was trying to a cure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, human right, oh right, right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, so which he, is illegal. Uh, fascinating. So he's trying to. Okay, I get it. So he's trying to say that Planned Parenthood is doing this illegal thing, and they're selling off baby lungs, like we talked yes. about. But in do in trying to prove it, he had to try to do something illegal, try to buy these b- baby yes. lungs. Oh, what an asshole! Yeah. So he is guilty of the very thing that he was trying to accuse Planned Parenthood. Allegedly, we don't. Yes. know. we'll see what happens. All right. Interesting. Good little uh, addition to that, Joey. Perfect. Oregon militia update. You ready for this shit? Because some shit hit the fan <laughs> over the last uh, couple of days. It is sad. However, it's nowhere near as bad as it could get. Yes, I agree. And I have a video clip that's going to speak to your point. I oh, think. God. Before we let's let the people, let's let the 
Samsonite. No, what's going on? At around <laughs> at around 4:25 p.m. local time in Oregon on Tuesday, during what FBI agents are calling a quote confrontation and enforcement action during a traffic stop, Robert Lavoie Finnicum was shot and killed, while Eamon Bundy, the protest leader, was arrested alongside four others, including his brother Ryan, who suffered a minor gunshot wound. Uh, early in January, Finnicum, the guy that got killed. Uh, said to NBC News that he'd rather die than be detained, so it looks like he got his wish there. Mm-hmm. It's not something I want to make light of. You're right. You're saying it's it's not it's sad. It's, this it's guy's sad. a dad of eleven, and we talked about it when this thing first came out. If you're going to support people's rights to protest, you have to support everybody's rights. Yes. A lot of the argument was, well, they're white, they're out there with all these guns. How come the police aren't going to murder them? Because they shouldn't. <laughs> That's the point. Like that. Yes. That should just be extended to everybody. Black. Uh, you know, Black uh, Lives Matter, any any group that's out there protesting, they are afforded that right. They are allowed to do that thing. Same thing here. Now, again, it's a little bit of a different circumstance because these guys are being provocative t- to a certain extent. Uh, but Very you know, flamboyant, if you ask me. I don't know, but the, have they really been? The the core group, Eamon Bundy, they're not really. And I don't think this Finnicum guy was doing anything too aggressive other than just actually being there and occupying the, the wildlife reserve. Well, Mike, a dad of 11. Yes. It's fucked up when you put because it's so easy to go, oh, an Oregon militia, these fucking white assholes out there. And yeah, a lot of them are. I don't like their, you know, some of their points, but the main point about ranchers' rights and their ability to, like, t- you know, do what they want on their own mm-hmm. property. I, I can get behind that. I, I understand that argument. I don't think they should be out there necessarily with guns and threatening people, but what yeah, I mean, if you got to crack a couple eggs to make a point, that that's what the whole idea of a protest is. That's why they're doing it. Yeah. Um, my question is, if you're in a situation like this... Me personally, or yes, one? Or just one. Why would you ever leave the reserve? They left to go to John Day to uh, because... Uh, because Bundy was going to speak at yeah, uh, he was giving, right. He was giving a speech, or okay. they were going to do meetings. Yeah. So, it, so wouldn't it be obvious that if you leave, there'll be checkpoints or something? Like it, it seems that you're just setting yourself up to be caught. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe that's a little bit of what the situation. I mean, it's a very valid point, right? I mean, when I read it, I was like, "That's dumb that they left the wildlife reserve." But apparently, they have been coming and going a little bit. Yeah, like they have their own guys kind of patrolling different arteries in and out of the wildlife reserve. You know, and there's sort of this. It was kind of an understanding for the last couple of weeks where it's like they're doing that. Law enforcement's not doing anything to them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a great point. Of course, law enforcement's going to take an opportunity when they get it. Um, the other question is raised because if this was, I'm just trying to be fair about it. Yes. If this was a black guy that we heard that this happened, that there was a traffic stop, a routine traffic stop, uh-huh. Sandra Bland and uh, a million others. If we heard that, that there was a routine traffic stop and a federal officer or a police officer shot one of the guys cause he was being a problem, but this person was black, we would all pretty much. And I certainly would be assuming bullshit the cops yes you know what i mean but in this circumstance i feel like that's not the case i feel like people aren't up in arms and they just assume that these guys are kind of rabble rousers and a problem which to an extent they are but you know it's kind of a double-edged sword well apparently there's a few conspiracy theories going around i'd love to hear one saying that uh that robert was actually laying down yes well that's what they're shot right yeah well and and if if that's the case that makes no sense 
Well, what doesn't make sense that that is what happened? Yeah, I mean, if that's what happened, if he's lying down, why would you shoot him? It's different if he uh, to prove a point because why? Why if Sandra Bland isn't resisting, do you yank her out of the car and arrest? You know, it's like what? Okay. Why? Because maybe not though, because I don't because Eamon Bundy who was there. He hasn't said anything like that. I think that's people kind of still on the reserve where they're trying to put out their narrative to make it seem okay. maybe like it's more of a, a you know, he might have, we, we don't know because there's no video. We don't really know what the story is, but I haven't heard anything from like Eamon Bundy or any of the people yeah. that were there actually saying something like that. I do have a clip that we're going to play just to wrap this story mm-hmm. up at the end. I have a couple more things to say uh, of like some of the guys that are still there on the wildlife reserve and uh, they're not the most level-headed people in the world probably the people arrested could face huge fines and up to 10 years in prison if prosecuted to the maximum on federal conspiracy to impede federal officers charges Eamon Bundy released a statement which I'll read real quick and then uh, I have a quote from this guy Jason Patrick who's one of the remaining occupiers he's not the most extreme of the guys but mm-hmm. he's still there and then I have a video a live stream that they had a live stream set up very weird. They were just moving around some construction vehicles. Okay. And then this guy with like a huge gun just keeps turning and yelling at the camera. It's very strange. <laughs> but we'll play it because the stuff yeah. he's saying is like a little off the wall. Eamon Bundy says, I'm asking the federal government to allow the people at the refuge to go home without being prosecuted. To those remaining at the refuge, I love you. Let us take this fight from here. Please stand down. Please stand down. Go home and hug your families. This fight is ours for now in the courts. Please go home. So there it is. That's Eamon Bundy. Yeah, go home. Who I said right from the start does not seem like an irrational guy. Doesn't seem like a bad guy. It seems like he has a point that he's trying to make, whether you agree with him or not. Mm -hmm. But it didn't seem like a dangerous guy to me. It seemed like somebody who was pretty level-headed and just wanted to stand up for what he believed was an injustice. Yes. And I'm not going to be the guy that sits here and goes, well, fuck it. No, I think good for you. You should do that if you really believe it. So two years? in jail yeah two years in jail who the who knows i don't know how this stuff is going to work that's you know that'll be the other interesting thing who who knows what it's going to be um i don't know i don't know and it'll be interesting to see if the people on the refuge actually go home now because again there it seemed like it was getting out of bundy's control to a certain extent there were groups showing up that he probably wasn't really involved with and weren't really down with the cause that he was you know trying to put forth you brought up the point. Why would you do that? Why would you go make the speech? Maybe he needed a way out. Obviously, he doesn't want his friend to get killed, but yeah, it was you a, know, it's an easy way out. Him yeah. going to do the speech is like Trump bringing up Palin. It's like he's got to do something. Uh, Jason Patrick, one of the remaining occupiers, he says, I've heard peaceful resolution for weeks now, and there's a cowboy who is my friend who is dead, so prepare for the peaceful resolution, which sounds sarcastic. That sounds confrontational. <laughs> it sounds confrontational, yes. The government can kill who they want for whatever reason they want with impunity, and he likened Finnegan's death to the death of Tamir Rice, which is absurd. I mean, clearly there's a goddamn difference between what Tamir Rice is doing and what these guys are doing. Tamir Rice didn't occupy federal land mm-hmm. as a protest dispute had like real guns and a whole militia i mean come on that's a fucking <laughs> that's a huge stretch and that, that one was annoying so i wanted to put that one out there he finishes i don't know what to tell you but if somebody saying peaceful resolution comes in and points guns at me and they just trails off uh, you know i guess implying like if they point guns at me well what how do you think it's gonna be trouble right i'm gonna point guns at them right so that i think that's what you were alluding to that there yes. could be some kind of uh some kind of shootout situation. I hope not, but you got to figure the guys that are still there are the, you know, they're the hardcore ones and yeah. it's going to be a, a, a bigger issue. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap up with this clip okay. that I want to play. 
This is again. This is a live stream video of these guys just at the at the wildlife refuge. I don't know what the hell they're doing with their you know the gun John Deere tractor. <laughs> well, they're just walking around. Uh, but I'll play a couple of clips. There's four clips from this. They're quick though. Uh, all right, so let me get this a little bit louder. Let's see if we can hear it. Hold on. So why were the tractors there anyway? That they thought that it was time to bring in the. Uh I don't know what the hell the they're equipment? doing with the truck. I don't know what they're doing. That's the, these are the guys that are just left, and they think that they're proving a point. They're but the farming, gone. right? They're farming. Is that what's going Not on? Not at the wildlife refuge. No. <laughs> then why have the tractor? Hold on. Here, listen. Listen to this guy. You tell me if this this guy was rational. Media has been ordered to leave. That means they're coming to kill us, and they don't want them to see that. They're going to murder all of us. And the media's are cowards. <laughs> this guy's okay. Okay, excellent. Uh, this guy's sex. Nope, that's the wrong one. I think he's a, a man with a worldview that doesn't fit reality. I agree. Thank yes. you, Dick. For the first time, I agree with Dick Cheney. Continue, sir. Stay show the truth. Show the truth. <laughs> oh, that's not our audio, by the way. That's him just screaming at a, at a what I'm assuming is a GoPro. So yeah. All right. <laughs> Hold on. Wait. Let me get to the next clip. It's just fascinating this whole thing because this guy's gonna this guy's gonna be a problem. You gotta feel like. All right, here we go. Media's been waiting for a bloodbath this whole time we've been here. Now there's gonna be one, and they're running. They're told to run because the feds don't want to know who's murdering us. Huh, wait, American I... people better wake up, get here, and fight for your country right now. It is on. What you gonna do? What you gonna do with the? Re- when the militia comes after you, FBI. Oh. Does this, it sounds like a terrorist. This is, this is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing. Yeah, and that's not what Eamon Bundy sounded like, and I want to make that clear. Like These guys don't, I don't think, represent what he was doing. They, maybe, they're to, he maybe they're just goofing around. Maybe they're just goofing around. They're goofing around, but they're out there on the fucking wildlife reserve with, uh, you know, 12,000 guns and sleeping bags and shit. These guys are attractive. a little out of their minds. Wait, they say another kind of crazy thing that comes okay. up in a second. But again, this is not what Eamon Bundy, I don't think, stood for. No. He was defending the rights of some of his friends and ranchers that are in the same profession as him and same lifestyle, essentially. These these guys don't seem like that's what they're there for. <laughs> Wait, just like he keeps yelling. Hold on. Look at, this, look at this guy. This is just like a portly gentleman with a huge gun. Oh, wait. Maybe it's a, a second into the video. Hold on. Yeah, here we go. The, oh, God damn it. Sorry. Sorry, Samson. I apologize. They can listen to the track, though. It's nice. I know. It's actually kind of soothing. All you military that's been fighting for your country overseas, you can fight for your country right here in America. Get here. Get some. No. You know what? No. See, what? see, it's a live stream. They know it's a live stream, so they're goofing around. I, no, I, think I don't that's think what's I, this on. guy seems like he's just doing this for shits and gigs. He's sitting out there. It's 10 degrees out. He's in the middle of the woods. He should go to Iraq. Like, instead of saying military guys come here and defend the wildlife reserve, why don't you go to fucking Afghanistan if you feel so strongly about the country? No, you just want to, you just want to play cops and robbers or whatever you want to do. You go to Afghanistan. It's tough farmers guy. and FBI. Farmers and FBI, bro. History in the making. Yeah. There are no laws in this United States now. This is a free for all Armageddon. Any Leo or military or law enforcement or feds that stand up and fuck their oath, don't abide by their oath, are the enemy. Okay. Is there any way we can get his oath so we know exactly what we're doing? 
Ah, this guy's a little aggressive. All right. So anyway, so the, the, you get the point. That's that guy just screaming at the camera. Yeah. So to your point, this could turn into an issue. Yes. I mean, not that it's not already a bit of an issue, but like those guys seem like they might be a problem yeah. down the road. So we'll we'll just keep our eye on it. But Eamon Bundy's out. So as far as I'm concerned, the actual idea of what they were doing is now gone. And so this is just another like rogue group there kind of doing their own thing. So just, just checking in. When the leader of the militia tells you to go home, you go home, correct? Well, if he's actually your leader, but that's my point. I think a lot of these other groups, these three percenter groups, which... Do you know what that even means, the three percenter thing? I don't, actually. According to whatever information they're reading, that the during the American Revolution, there was only 3% of the population of the colonies that actually fought the war against the British. Oh. So they take up that mantle of, like, defending the Constitution and defending America and, like, revolution and stuff. But the revolution got sold, my friends. I mean, it's, it is not going to happen for you this way. This no. is not the way to do it. Go fight ISIS. If you go do, go go overseas, help people. Don't try to get the, what, the Marines are going to come back and defend the stupid Mahler Wildlife Refuge because why? Why would they do that? Because they work a for the government. They're the government. That's the thing. They don't understand that. Every time they go, well, we're going to have all these guns and ammunition, we're going to stand up to the government. That means you're going to have to fight the military. Do you? Does that chubby, yelly idiot think that he's going to be able to stop Pat Tillman types? Does that seem realistic? No. Okay. Uh, all right, you got anything else to say about the Oregon militia? It's time for them to go home. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. All right, next thing I want to get into here. Now, again, this is a little bit different than what we normally do on the show. Um, I'm going to have read some passages. They're like longer passages, but I think it's worthwhile because it's an interesting conversation that we that has been taking place. I don't know how uh, much coverage it's been getting on TV or but how much. We're going to cover it. But we're going to cover it. And I don't know how much. You know, even people that listen to the show have heard about it, but it's something that caught my attention and I've kind of been following the story. So we'll get into it. We're going to do this and then we'll get to the, uh, we'll wrap up with the 2016 update. Okay. Because I got some poll numbers and different stuff going into Iowa and we'll see where that all goes, but we'll wrap up the show with that. Ta-Nehisi Coates, Bernie Sanders and reparations. Uh, I have a video here that sparked this little Whatever, it's not even a it's not even a back and forth between Bernie Sanders and Tanahasi Coates. It's Bernie Sanders said something, Tanahasi Coates wrote some articles, and then there's been some conversation between him and some other writers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Tanahasi Coates, for those of you that don't know, is a brilliant writer uh, for the Atlantic, and he wrote an article. I mean, it's like 30 pages, 40 pages. It's like a tome yeah. of it's called The Case for Reparations, which he wrote in 2014, which is very lauded, and to me was more very eye-opening not that i wasn't already kind of on board with the idea of of reparations and understanding institutional racism but this this piece that he wrote was brilliant and i have some quotes from that that we'll get into okay. to kind of explain it but this so all right so we'll get into that in a second but this is bernie sanders being asked about reparations which to me is weird like why would that even have come up because mm-hmm. that's not an issue i don't think that anybody is even considering really but it did come up, and Bernie gave a direct answer to it, and that's what sparked the whole thing. So we're going to listen to Bernie Sanders. It's a one-minute clip, and then I can get into the rest of the stuff, and we can read some of the quotes and uh, have a discussion about it. Bernie Sanders asked about reparations. A lot of African Americans are starting to call for reparations for the many years of stolen labor um, through slavery. Is that something that you would support as president? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I think it would be, first of all, its likelihood of getting through a Congress is nil. Second of all, I think it would be, you know, very divisive. I think the real issue is when we look at the poverty rate among the African-American community, 
when we look at the high unemployment rate within the African-American community, the incarceration rate within the African-American community, we have a lot of work to do. So I think what we should be talking about is making massive investments in rebuilding our cities, in creating millions of decent paying jobs, in making public colleges and universities tuition free and working on childcare. Basically, targeting our federal resources to the areas that it is needed the most and where it is needed the most are in impoverished communities, often African-American and Latino. All right, so that's a very classic Bernie Sanders response. It's not something that you have never heard him say. In fact, that's pretty much the policy that he's running on mm-hmm. uh, as far as social policy is concerned. And he answered the question straight up, which you respect that. It's probably what you would expect from a lot of people. Yes. Okay, so you, he probably didn't think anything of it. And again, I don't know if the world at large is paying attention to the story, but I really like Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm supporting Bernie Sanders. I think it's some interesting. My initial response to this was, why is this relevant necessarily, and why is he being asked this? Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know why it's totally relevant, why that he was asked, but he was. And then my second thought about it, because he kept going for like a week, and I was like, why, why, are, why is Ta-Nehisi Coates, a guy that I really respect, and understand his point of view. Why is he going after Bernie Sanders, who to me seems like the guy that Tanasi Coates, if he was going to support anyone, would support? Would support? Well, why not ask Hillary if she supports reparations or any of the Republican? Like Bernie's your best shot, essentially to to support. Like I, I just didn't understand mm-hmm. that. Well, okay. So over the next couple of days, Tanahasi Coates managed to answer all of my questions day after day and laid out his logic masterfully. Again, instead of trying to explain what the guy's saying, I found parts of the articles that he wrote, and I'm going to read those articles. You know, okay. I'm going to read those quotes. You stop me if you have a question or something like that, or you want to get into it. But all right, the first article that came out, this was the whole thing that kind of like piqued my interest in it. He wrote an article called Why Precisely is Bernie Sanders Against Reparations? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I saw, which led me to listen to the Bernie Sanders quote. And I was like, what, what is this about? Like, why would he attack Bernie Sanders? This is what he said. Sanders is a lot of things, many of them good, but he is not the candidate of moderation and unification so much as the candidate of partisanship and radicalism, which I think is true. He goes, there is neither insult nor accolade in this. John Brown, who was a white abolitionist who was for armed insurrection for the slaves to rise up and Mm -hmm. kill people, uh, and was radical and divisive. So was Eric Robert Rudolph, who was the Olympic Park bomber, the anti-abortion bomber. Our current sprawling megapolis of prisons was a bipartisan achievement. Obamacare was not. Sometimes the moral course lies within the politically possible, and sometimes the moral course lies outside of the politically possible. One of the great functions of radical candidates is to war against equivocators and opportunists who conflate these two things. Radicals expand the political imagination and hopefully prevent incrementalism from becoming a virtue. All right? So basically he is saying that Bernie Sanders isn't that radical. Well, what he's saying is Bernie Sanders is is a radical in the way that he talks and the way that he campaigns. Okay. In that sense, he's saying it's not good or bad. That is what he is, and that's how he's campaigning. He goes on. Unfortunately, Sanders' radicalism has failed in the ancient fight against white supremacy. Now, he uses the term white supremacy, and this came up during the Confederate flag debate, uh, you know, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In the original article, The Case for Reparations, he uses the phrase white supremacy as strictly what it is, a concept of black people were objects and a means of production to whites in the time when, you know, when slavery was, Mm -hmm. was prevalent. 
So that is truly white supremacy, where it's like, we are people, your objects, your property. That's what he's referring to. And then he lays out the case throughout the case for reparations that this has continued and it never really stopped. Not that black people are slaves, but there's been a systematic white supremacy kind of built into the fabric of the country. Mm. That's how he's using the word white supremacy. What he proposes in lieu of reparations, job creation, investment in cities, and free higher education is well within the Overton window. The Overton window is what is publicly acceptable as part of, uh, you know, like the discourse. Okay. The Overton window. So like reparations kind of, it seems like is outside of the Overton window. People are not willing to talk about that. It's too we much. Are, it's too much. We are willing to talk about the things that he just mentioned, higher education, investment in cities, stuff like that. And hit, and Bernie's platform on race echoes democratic orthodoxy. So what he's saying is Bernie's platform on all this falls in line with what is typical of the democratic moderate party, mm-hmm. not a radicalism, which was surprising. This is the class first approach originating in the myth that racism and socialism are necessary, inco- nece- necessarily incompatible. Essentially, there's an idea that because of uh, socialist values where everybody kind of has a base level of security and you're going to try to find equality uh, through social programs and make people, you know, kind of get on the same mm-hmm. page that that would necessarily just get rid of racism. But that's not the case because Europe still has racism in it and you can understand why that wouldn't eliminate it just because everybody, even black people that have the same amount of money as white people tend to live in neighborhoods where the like somebody say i make a hundred thousand dollars and a black person makes a hundred thousand dollars the black person's way more likely to live in a neighborhood where the income is like thirty thousand dollars it's there's this weird systematic kind of racism that just naturally takes place so no matter whether they they're equal and they have the same job opportunities that still exists and it's mm-hmm. not addressed by these class issues if not even an avowed socialist can be bothered to grapple with the reparate with reparations, if the question really is that far beyond the pale, then expect white supremacy in America to endure well beyond our lifetimes and lifetimes of our children. Reparations is not one possible tool against white supremacy. It is the indispensable tool against white supremacy. All right. Mm-hmm. So fine. So I read that and I go, well, this is again. Now the, my thought is he makes a good point, but what, what, how, like, why is he deciding to go after Bernie Sanders? Hillary Clinton doesn't believe it. Not a lot of the Republicans don't. He goes on, uh, in another article called Bernie Sanders and the liberal, liberal imagination, where he answers that question. Before we get to that, I want to read just apart from the case for reparations, the original article that he wrote. Okay. Cause it gives you an idea. Like it, it that's sort of abstract. If you didn't read the case for reparations, this kind of brings it into, relief of like no matter what you do paying for this misdeed the slavery thing the the white supremacy that's the only way you're going to make up for something like this and this is the point that he makes in the case of reparations he goes when clyde ross was still a child mississippi authorities claimed his father owed three thousand dollars in back taxes the elder ross could not read he did Mm -hmm. not have a lawyer he did not know anyone at the local courthouse he could not expect the police to be impartial Effectively, the Ross family had no way to contest the claim and no protection under the law. The authorities seized the land. They seized the buggy. They they seized the buggy. They took the cows, hogs, and mules. And so for the upkeep of separate but equal, the entire Ross family was reduced to sharecropping. Everything they achieved got taken away from them because they had no means of defending themselves against the state, which kind of brings you to the Oregon militia situation in some way. I'm not comparing the struggle, but it's the same kind of idea. This was hardly unusual. In 2001, and this is where where it really gets to it, the Associated Press published a three-part investigation into the theft of black-owned land stretching back to the antebellum period. 
The series document, documented some 406 victims and 24,000 acres of land valued at tens of millions of dollars. Hmm. The land was taken through uh, means ranging from legal chicanery to terrorism. This is a quote. Some of the land taken from black families has become a country club in Virginia, the AP reported, as well as, quote, oil fields in Mississippi and a baseball string, spring training facility in Florida. Now, put that into context. How much money do you think you have to have to own the land and have a baseball training center on it? A decent amount. The value of that land is absurd. The oil fields in Mississippi is absurd. And these are things that were just systematically stripped away from supposedly free blacks in the antebellum period. Yes. How could you possibly make up for that? You can't. By just having better educational programs or investing into the inner city. It'll help, but there's no way you can make up for that. That's, we're talking billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's, that is what the point is of the whole thing. So if you don't support reparations, fine, but you're not addressing the actual issue of how can we make up for this? There's no way to make up for it by just putting a bandage on it, which he gets into in this. Okay. Bernie Sanders and the liberal imagination. Now you tell, is this interesting? Is this too much that I'm reading? Cause I wanted to talk about this. I thought this was a good thing. I find it very interesting. Okay. I do feel it's a little too much though. For you, Joey, mm-hmm. I feel great about it. Last week I critiqued Bernie. Sa- <laughs> Last week I critiqued Bernie. Sa- I know it's. I wanted to I do know. it, and then the only way to do it was to do it this way. So, so we're doing it. It is yeah. what it is. Look, the Samsonites. You let us know. You like it. You don't like it. We're not going to do this every week, but I found this interesting. Last week I critiqued Bernie Sanders for dismissing reparations specifically and for offering up a series of moderate anti-racist solutions in general. Some felt it was unfair, unfair to single out Sanders, given that on reparations, Sanders' chief opponent Hillary Clinton holds the same position. This argument proposes that we abandon the convention of judging our candidates by their chosen name. Now, that's exactly what I said. That was my initial feeling about it. Like, why aren't they going after Hillary? Well, he addresses it. Hillary Clinton has no interest in being labeled radical, left-wing, or even liberal. Thus, announcing that Clinton doesn't support reparations is akin to announcing that Ted Cruz doesn't support a woman's right to choose. The position is certainly wrong, but it's hardly a surprise and doesn't run counter to the candidate's chosen name. What candidates name themselves is generally believed to be important. Sanders' basic approach is to ameliorate the effects of racism through broad, broad, mostly class-based policies, doubling the minimum wage, offering single-payer health care, delivering free higher education. Excuse me. Again, briefly treating a racist injury solely with class-based remedies is like treating a gunshot wound solely with bandages. The bandages will help, but they will not suffice. That's that's makes sense, and that's why I put the part from the case for reparations in there. Yeah, you can help people go to college. That's going to be good. Mm-hmm. You can invest into the inner city, but you're never going to give a black family the wealth that they would have from owning the property that has a fucking spring training facility yeah, on it. Yeah, the, the wealth was stolen from them, and there's no way to make up for that. Absolutely. In addition to the fact that they were brought here as property. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what he's always trying to keep in mind. When Sanders dismisses reparations because they are, quote, divisive, he puts himself in poor company. Divisive is how the media dismissed the public option. Divisive is what Hillary Clinton is calling Sanders' single-payer platform right now. The point is not that reparations is not divisive. The point is that anti-racism is always divisive. A left radicalism that makes Clintonism its standard for anti-racism, fully knowing it can never do such a thing in the realm of labor, for instance, has embraced evasion. But hope still lies in the imagined thing. This guy's such a brilliant writer. That's the other thing about it. I don't even care. I just want to read what he wrote. He's a great writer. 
Liberals have dared to believe in the seemingly impossible, a socialist presiding over the most capitalist nation to ever exist. If the liberal imagination is so grand as to assert this new American reality, why when confronting racism, presumably a mere adjunct of class, should it suddenly come up shaky? Is shy incrementalism really the lesson of this fortuitous outburst of Vermont radicalism, which, oh, whoa, beautiful words. Mm-hmm. And also, that's, the, that's what we've been talking about. Let's put it into focus. Hillary Clinton's a moderate. Yes. I support President Obama and Obamacare. Bernie says, get rid of it, single payer. That's not incrementalism. Saying, I like what we did, let's see where it goes, is incrementalism. He's, Tanasi Coates is challenging Bernie Sanders' radical liberalism that's what he's going after mm-hmm. why are you being incremental when it comes to reparations but not in any other realm that you're dealing with it's an interesting question these and other questions were recently put to sanders his answer was underwhelming it does not have to be this way one could imagine a candidate asserting the worth of reparations the worth of john conyers hr 40 which is a bill that that is brought up in the case for reparations which essentially is the commission to study reparation proposals for African-Americans act reference in the case for reparation. So it's basically a bill. This guy, John Conyers puts out where it's not even saying we need reparations. It's saying, let's study the proposals for reparations. Just see what mm-hmm. let's have the conversation. See where it goes. Right. While also correctly noting the present lack of working coalition, what should be unimaginable is defaulting to the standard of Clintonism of yes, but she's against it too. A left radicalism that fails to debate its own standards, that counsels misdirection, that preaches avoidance is really just a radicalism of convenience, which is interesting as somebody I consider myself pretty liberal, I think. I mean, I think that's clear from a lot of what I say. He All he's doing is like he's saying, if we can't have this argument, if this is off the table, this is too divisive, then what are you, then you're just you're just saying things that you know are going to play well and it's just a matter of convenience. If you're really radical and you're really progressive, and you're really of the left, this has to be on the table. This has to be something that you're willing to at least talk about because otherwise you're embracing incrementalism and being evasive. You fo- you're following yes. it, right? I mean, I, again, this is a deep one. This is like a, maybe a, it's a bit of a challenge. I challenge myself to even put this out there and, and mm-hmm. have this type of conversation because it's a big one and there's a lot of, you know, it, in, in some ways it doesn't matter, but it's just a really... I think interesting conversation to have. Yeah, for whatever reason, it it works for me. The case for considering reparations is the next quote I have. Now, this guy, um, where's his name? Jesus. I forget what his name, but there's another journalist that wrote a response to Ta-Nehisi Coates, essentially rebutting the case for reparations argument. Okay, so this is Ta-Nehisi Coates called The Case for Considering Reparations. Drum, who's the guy, believes that I was reticent about reparations because I did not talk about concrete restitution in the article. Of course, the article was not a plan for reparations. It was a case for reparations. That was the headline. Even so, I did offer some details on the proposals which have been put forth by scholars over the years. With that said, I concluded that the next best step was to back John Conyers' H.R. 40 bill, which is considering the proposals, which is proposed to study slavery and its legacy and to determine whether reparations were feasible. A country that could actively contemplate atoning for plunder by devoting significant resources to compensating its victims would be a very different nation than the one we live in now. You don't get that different country by waiting to talk about it, which I agree with. I totally agree. And in this sense, the conversation ends right where it began. Liberals and radicals see no problem imagining a socialist president. 
They do not demand specific details of how single-payer health care, free public college tuition, and the breakup of banks would make it through a Republican Congress, which is a fair point. Uh, I forget who RAC something on SoundCloud commented, a frequent commenter on the mm-hmm. SoundCloud page, commented like during the debate coverage, how is Bernie going to d- accomplish any of this? How are you going to get it through Congress? This is the ideas phase is what I responded to. Mm-hmm. It's the ideas phase. We don't have to actually, Obama said a lot of shit during the campaign where it's like, we'll see, but this is the ideas phase. I like Bernie Sanders ideas and we'll see where it goes from there. But that's sort of the point that, you know, Coates is making here. He's saying a lot of stuff. There's no, we don't know how he's going to try to do it, but we're accepting that he's going to try to do it. And we like the platform. They are not wrong. God bless them and their radical imagination. I mean it. I just want them to imagine more. Like the movie says, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. And I, I love that point because it's like, just dr- just think about it. Like, why, why not have, uh, if you can do all this stuff, if Bernie Sanders on, on what is essentially the eve of the Iowa caucuses can be the front runner, mm-hmm. fuck it. Like, why, why aren't we thinking big? Why aren't we thinking about all the things that we could be thinking about? Nothing is too divisive. Nothing should be off the table. Let's have the idea. That was a big criticism of Obama. The criticism that I had. Why not start with the big idea and then work your way down from the big idea? Final thing. And then I got some polling data and then we can, uh, oh no, actually I'm going to go to the polling data and then I'll read the final quote because that's what really brings it home. So now these are polls from a YouGov thing about reparations in 2014. The first, the question is, do you think the government should or should not offer the following things to black Americans who are the descendants of slaves? And the percentage is the people that answered that we should give these to black Americans who are the descendants of slaves. Mm-hmm. 6% of white Americans think that there should be cash, cash payments. So no one. <laughs> yes. 59% of black Americans think that there should be cash payments. Mm-hmm. Education and job job training programs. 19% of white Americans think that's the case. 63% of black Americans Americans think that that should be something that is paid out to people who are descendants of slaves. All right? So those Mm -hmm. are the numbers. Here's where it gets interesting, and the last number is what what, what we'll close on because it makes – it's interesting. Do you think the government should or should not make cash payments to the following groups of people? These are the percentages. 15% think that descendants of slaves should be paid reparations. 68% think we should not. This is in 2014. Okay. Slaves after the Civil War, 37% think yes. 31% think no. Japanese interned during World War II, which is interesting. 37% think, yeah, we should make cash payments to them, which is interesting because it's the same concept. I mean, not to compare, I mean, you're comparing apples and oranges, but like Japanese people being interned during World War II is terrible. Slavery is really terrible. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, so what, why are people more okay with that? 37% think we should, 41% think we should not. This is the interesting one. Germany, should Germany pay Jews who survived the Holocaust? 55% think we should, 25% think we should not. Now, what's interesting is that that actually happened, and it's one of the cases that Ta-Nehisi Coates brings to the forefront in the case for reparations. We'll close with this and we'll okay. get to the debate coverage. And thanks, guys. I really, you know, I'd like some feedback on this or whatever, uh, but it's something I wanted to bring up. And you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Among the Jews of Israel, reparations provoked violent and venomous reactions ranging from denunciation to assassination plots. On January 7th, 
1952, as the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, convened to discuss the prospect of a reparations agreement with West Germany, Menachem Begin, the future prime minister of Israel, stood in front of a large crowd, inveighing against the country that had plundered their lives, labor, and property of his people. Begin then addressed the chamber with a fiery speech, condemning the actions the legislature was about to take. Today, you arrested hundreds, he said. Tomorrow, you may arrest thousands. No matter, they will go. They will sit in prison. We will sit there with them. If necessary, we will be killed with them, but there will be no reparations from Germany. So Menachem Begin, at the time when this stuff was happening, was fiercely against it. it, 100% against it. so, So much, and it was a very divisive thing in Israel at the time. Survivors of the Holocaust feared laundering the reputation of Germany with money and mortgaging the memory of their dead. Meaning if we take these reparations of Germany, it kind of like lets them off the hook. A lot of people felt that way. The reparations uh, conversation set off a wave of bomb attempts by Israeli militants against themselves, against other Jews in Israel. One was aimed at the foreign ministry in Tel Aviv. Another was aimed at Chancellor Adenauer himself. And one was aimed at the port of Haifa, where the goods bought with reparations money were arriving. Okay, Mm. so they did go through with the plan. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I mean, obviously, I think the whole thing's interesting, but this is what really counts. West Germany ultimately agreed to pay Israel 3.45 billion Deutsche Marks, or more than $7 billion in today's dollars. Individual reparations claims followed for psychological trauma, for offense to Jewish honor, for halting law careers, for life insurance, for time spent in concentration camps. 17% of funds went toward purchasing ships. By the end of 1961, these reparations vessels constituted two-thirds of the Israeli merchant fleet, writes the Israeli historian Tom Segev in his book, The Seventh Million. From 1953 to 1963, the reparations money funded about a third of the total investment in Israel's electrical system, which tripled its capacity and nearly half the total investment in the railways. So these are concrete things that they got from the reparations. They got to build their infrastructure. Israel's gross national product tripled during the 12 years of the agreement. The Bank of Israel attributed 15% of this growth, along with 45,000 jobs, to investments made with reparations money. But Segev argues that the impact went far beyond that. Reparations had, quote, indisputable psychological and political importance. Reparations could not make up for the murder perpetrated by the Nazis, but they did launch Germany's reckoning with itself and perhaps provided a roadmap for how a great civilization might make itself worthy of the name. Assessing the reparations agreement, David Ben-Gurion, who was the first Israeli prime minister, said this. For the first time in the history of relations between people, a precedent has been created by which a great state, as a result of moral pressure alone, takes it upon itself to pay compensation to the victims of the government that preceded it. For the first time in history of a people that has been persecuted, oppressed, plundered, and despoiled for hundreds of years in the countries of Europe, a persecutor and despoiler has been obliged to return part of his spoils and has even undertaken to make collective reparation as partial compensation for material losses. Something more than moral pressure calls America to reparations. We cannot escape our history. All of our solutions to the great problems of healthcare, education, housing, and economic inequality are troubled by, must, by what must go unspoken. The reason black people are so far behind now is not because of now, Clyde Ross told me. 
it's because of them. And that's the point. That that line, Clyde Ross is the guy whose family owned the land. They took the fucking land from them. Mm-hmm. Do, like, I don't know how much more we have to say about it, but to me, when you hear that, there, it, it's interesting because there's an appetite for people. Yeah, I think the Jews should probably get reparations. And that's fine. They did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it worked. You know what I mean? Like, it worked. It cured something you know what i mean psychologically it's like yeah we fucked up or maybe we didn't but people that we are ancestors of or whatever we allowed in some way allowed this to happen what can we do to make this up and let's move forward because that is the original sin slavery is the original sin what can we do to atone for that how can we cure it i honestly think that too much time has passed like doing the World War II thing, you, you you had the Holocaust, right? And then that's what the 1950s that they did the uh... yeah 53 I think okay. Yeah. So right after the war, virtually it happened. Here we're going what 160 years. Yeah. Well, yes, but that's only if you're looking. There's here's the difference. That's a mm-hmm. good point. The Holocaust was an event. It was a thing that took place and it had a definitive end period. Once the Holocaust ended. Jews were free. It doesn't mean that there wasn't bigotry or anti-Semitism against Jews that still continues. But as far as institutional backlash against Jews, once the war ended, like they didn't have to stay in the concentration camps after the war ended, they were out, they were became free people again and they had their, they could manage their own destiny. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The difference is when it comes to slavery, once slavery ended, it didn't end white supremacy. It can, that continued and still continues in a lot of ways. The Confederate flag debate, the fact that uh, there's predatory lending against communities of color, the way that they're treated with the police. It all kept going, regardless of whether they were free or not. There still was and continues to be, I think, a level of oppression against people of color, black people. The point is, even though that might have been 160 years ago or whatever it is, the way to end that white supremacy is to pay damages for that white supremacy. And anything else that you're going to do is merely a bandage, which is what ta Coates is mm-hmm. saying. And I get that argument. I totally understand it. Because what people still complain, I think there's white people that go, oh, it's, it's 200 years ago, get over it. Okay, there are definitely black people that are not con- – every day they wake up like, man, slavery, you know, like uh, my ancestors were slaves. I don't think that's the case. But you do see the ramifications of that in everyday systemic racism and the fact that there was an enormous amount of wealth that was and stolen. opportunity taken away. That cannot – you can't – because the same way that you look at Trump where you go, he's a self-made man. Yeah, he's this kind of a self-made man, except for the fact that his dad was rich. His dad had the opportunity to make that money and hand it on to his son and create wealth for generations yes. and generations that creates a basis for success. If the foundation of success and wealth and land and opportunity and all that stuff was never existing or got taken away once you had it, how are you supposed to build anything beyond that you if the foundation doesn't exist or was taken away? That's the point. And that's what I find really interesting about the argument. And that's pretty much what I got to say about it. You got anything to say about the rest of that, Joey, or what? I think you did very well. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I mean, he's a brilliant writer, and I urge yes, you guys to check out Ta-Nehisi Coates. I mean, he's just a brilliant guy. And he's also really into comic books, Joey, apparently. I, I heard oh, a rumor, cool. I think, that he might be writing one or that he's involved. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, you should look into it. You'd like it from that perspective. All right. Samsonites, let me know what you think about that. I thank you for indulging me. I, I enjoyed uh, doing that. 2016 update. We'll wrap this thing up. You ready? Yes. 
Got some poll numbers, Joey. Nate Silver at 538.com. He's the guy that I've referenced a number of times. Um, he has accurately predicted the presidential election the last whatever, two or three times that I've been paying attention mm-hmm. to it, to within like a tenth of a percentage. You know, I mean, he really knows his shit. Um, this is what he has to say about the Iowa caucuses. He's got two polls, uh, two different sets of polls up polls plus, which includes endorsements Mm -hmm. and polls only, which just includes national and local polling 76% chance in the polls plus forecast and a 63% in polls only that Hillary Clinton will win the Iowa caucuses. All right. So he's got her at like 75%, let's say Mm -hmm. to win the Iowa caucuses. Trump and Cruz in the polls plus this is with endorsements and the polling has them tied at 44% chance of winning. Iowa. Interesting. If you only take the polls into account, take the endorsements out. Uh, Trump is uh, at a 57% chance of winning Iowa. Hmm. Now again, who knows? They're just polls, but this Nate silver guy I found is pretty accurate and pretty much knows what he's doing. He knows how to weight the polls. He runs the, the program a thousand times and gets the most likely outcome. Okay. Flip side, New Hampshire. Polls, polls plus and polls only. Bernie Sanders has a 72% chance of winning New Hampshire. Polls plus, that's with endorsements. Mm-hmm. And a 91% chance of winning New Hampshire when you just look at the polls. So Bernie, wow. so now we're looking at a scenario where who knows what the actual vote tolls are going to be. But you're looking at a scenario, first two debate, first two uh, votes, split. And we'll see where that goes after that because that'll change the whole goddamn game completely. If Bernie Sanders can blow her out and be close in Iowa, it's going to be very interesting. Donald Trump, 54 and 67% chance of winning New Hampshire. So Trump is, again, the front runner in these, in these elections. So we'll see what happens. So when people actually vote. So he's trying to do everything not to win. That's, that's why he's not showing up to the debate. Right? <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's shooting Hail Marys. Uh, Hail Marys. He's shooting like half court shots and throwing Hail Marys like he's not in the lead, like he's trying to blow it. We'll see, man, because his chances of winning apparently are pretty good. Huh. I also have uh, real clear politics polls that we could just look into. These are just polling averages. Mm-hmm. Nationally, Trump is at 36%. Cruz is at 19%. In Iowa, it's tightening. Trump is at 32. Cruz is at 27. Rubio is in third at 12 and a half. In New Hampshire, 33. Trump, 12 and a half. Cruz, 12% Kasich. Interesting. Nationally, Hillary Clinton is at 52 and a half percent. Bernie Sanders is at 37 Martin O'Malley's at two. Bernie Sanders is ahead of Hillary Clinton in national polling averages, uh, in Iowa polling averages, 46 to like 45.8. So it's close. But Bernie has pulled ahead of her in Iowa if you just take the polling averages. Bernie Sanders continues to lead big in New Hampshire, 53.1 to 39.3 Hillary Clinton. We got to go to South Carolina. Well, that's the thing, right? It's going to keep going. But the longer it goes, I think that's worse for Hillary because... She, if she can't close it quickly here, you're just opening the door for more people to understand who Bernie Sanders is, more people are going to find out about him, and it's going to be a damaging uh, process, I think, for her the longer it goes. Because, again, people don't like her. The more she has to talk and be out there and answer questions and do all this whole song and dance, people don't necessarily uh, enjoy listening to Hillary Clinton. They don't like her. Two quick things. Trump three quick things. Trump will be boycotting tonight's Fox news debate after a Fox news press release irked him earlier uh, in the day. The other day, uh, Trump asked his Twitter followers if he should attend. Uh, Then came the Fox news 
press release that upset him. The press release said the following. We learned from a secret back channel that the Ayatollah and Putin both intend to treat Donald Trump unfairly when they meet with him if he becomes president. A nefarious source tells us that Trump has his own secret plan to replace the cabinet with his Twitter followers to see if he should even go to those meetings. So it's like a little snide, jokey press release from Fox News. This pissed off the Donald. Yeah, he, he, said, he doesn't take shit, son. He said it is a wise guy press release. Done by some PR person along with Roger Ailes. I said bye-bye to the debate. <laughs> He'll be doing it in an Iowa event for veterans. He's going to try to raise money. That's what he's doing instead of the debate. Uh, thoughts on that, Joey? I think it's a good move by him. You do? I mean, it's, he it's can like, do no wrong. That is the case. It seems like he can do no wrong. He is a uh, real serious... Oh, I unplugged the computer. It doesn't whatever. I played a Carly <laughs> Fiorent innovation thing. All right. So that's Trump. Bernie Sanders uh, made some comments about religion in a Washington Post interview. Um, and let me read that quote real quick because mm-hmm. I found it interesting. Because you don't really hear the guy because he's Jewish. We forget about that. But I don't think he's particularly religious. I think he's a, he's a progressive. He's a secularist, a humanist, probably. I think everyone believes in God, he says, in their own ways. To me, it means that all of us are connected. All of life is connected and that we are all tied together. I want to be treated with dignity and respect, and I want other people to be treated with dignity and respect. Great. I'm totally in with you. I, I agree. We are all in it together. I always say it. We the people, people versus power. That's the reality, and I, I appreciate what Bernie Sanders had to say here. Listen to this stat. I feel like I'm rushing. Why don't I take a breath? We're only in an hour. Yeah, yeah slow okay. down. When it comes to every major union or progressive group, that let its members vote for who to endorse, they picked Bernie Sanders. Oh, did they really? Yes. When leaders decide, they pick Hillary. Several of those endorsements were accompanied by criticism from members about the lack of a democratic process. Why is that interesting? Well, the meat and potatoes, middle America people, the vast majority of Americans are in that camp. When they get to see between the two of them, Bernie and Hillary, they want Bernie. They believe Bernie. They look at him as a real human being. The big groups, the leaders, the people that benefit from certain people being in power, they want Hillary. Hillary. And why is that? Because Hillary is somebody that is corruptible, for lack of a better word. Bernie does not seem like that guy. It seems like he actually represents the people and means what he says. And that's just an interesting little dichotomy that I wanted to bring to your attention. That is very interesting. It's extremely interesting. Sure. These These are liberal groups. They're unions. Last week, Hillary's campaign released a letter in which 10 foreign policy experts, this is the last thing we got, 10 foreign policy experts criticized Bernie for calling for closer engagement with Iran. Okay, so Hillary had a bunch of experts get together, mm-hmm. write a letter being like, Bernie's out of touch, he doesn't know what he's doing, Hillary's the way to go. All right, fine. Five of the 10 of those people that wrote the letters work for military contact- contractors, which directly benefit from Middle East conflict. Of course they do. Beacon Global Strategies. You know what they do, Joey? They advise Hillary, Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio about foreign policy decisions. That ha- seems like a problem. It does seem like a problem. It seems weird that this, real, you know, uh, left-wing, Obama-supporting uh, woman who's like a liberal bastion has the same advisors that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio do. That's weird. That's yeah, weird is. to me, Very but weird. it is the case. The Cohen group is another one of the groups. And then end game systems, which is like a, um, you know, a computer analyst kind of cybersecurity 
uh, advisor group. They've been called the Blackwater of hacking. Who? Uh, yeah, I don't have time to get into who Blackwater is. If you know who Blackwater is, great. Otherwise, look it up. But that's not a great thing to be called. There's somebody that helped write this letter. They're the ones that are going after Bernie Sanders yeah, of course. on Hillary's behalf. Weird. I wonder if she has any kind of like ties to them, uh, you know, outside of this campaign. Final clip. I have one clip. It's like 30 seconds. There was the uh, town hall meeting this week. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton was shown Bernie Sanders campaign ad Ooh, yeah. and was asked to respond to it and react to it. Her reaction is the most robotic force thing you'll ever see. And I just want to play it. You tell me what you think about this. So this is Hillary Clinton watching Bernie's ad at a town hall and then her reaction to it. Hold on. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me pause it. Hold on. God damn it. I unplugged the computer. Joey, talk a minute. Do a song and dance. Song and dance. Here we Song go. and dance. Song and dance. Wonderful. All right. She's just standing stone-faced, not smiling, watching this thing. I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's, that's great. great. Do you? You fuck away. Let her let her finish. But this this is this is this is the unlikability. The the factor that is really playing uh, big in this thing. I think that's fabulous. I loved it. Did you? And now look. Bernie Sanders. Just we're gonna listen to it one more time. Bernie Sanders and I approve this message. I think that's great. <laughs> So ridiculous. Do you see her face? It's like just a fake smile. I loved it. And now, look. You campaign in poetry, you govern in prose. And we need a lot more poetry in this campaign and in our country. So I applaud that. Okay, that's a weird response to it. So that's Hillary Clinton. Um, final thoughts, Joey. We're heading into the Iowa caucuses. By the next time we are talking to the Samsonites, we will know. Who won Iowa? Prediction. You're going to make a prediction? Yes, you ready? Yeah, here's a prediction. You ready? Uh-huh. Damn it, I did it again. I unplugged it. God, forget it. Carly <laughs> Fiorina is not meant to be on the show. Go, Joey. Hillary wins Iowa. Okay. Bunny wins New Hampshire. No, we're talking about Iowa. I All know. Right, fine. So Hillary and then who wins on the Republican side? Cruz. Cruz. All right. We're going Cruz. I tend to agree with you on that. I'm going to go with my heart, not my head. I'm going to say Bernie wins Iowa. Fuck it. And uh, I think Trump's going to win Iowa. Really? Yeah. By him not going to the last debate, it's going to help him win. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens. According to Nate Silver, Hillary will win Iowa, and it'll either be Trump or Cruz. We'll see what happens. You never know. Again, when people actually get into a voting booth and they have to pull a lever, you really find, you know, they really have to caucusing. So that's even more fun. Yeah, well, whatever. I don't even understand why that that matters at all, and they should just vote, and why don't we move on? All right. Good show, Joey. Great show. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't let you do the fuck up of the week. It's too depressing. I didn't feel like doing it. It's a mom and a kid die. It's no good. Well, they're just watching the husband shovel. What a (laughs) terrible... I don't understand. Uh, Listen, everybody, subscribe on iTunes. That'd be great. Ask a friend to do it. Um, I don't even know if this would work. Press unsubscribe and then resubscribe. I don't know. No, no I don't know. No, I don't know no, if that no, helps no. or not, but that's something maybe don't you do. Don't tell people to unsubscribe. Resubscribe. You get it on <laughs> iTunes. SoundCloud.com slash mandatory Samson. Go on there. Listen to this episode. All the other episodes we put up. Leave a comment on the track. I will comment back to you. YouTube.com slash mandatory Samson. I pulled up the full episode videos. Um, 
and I answer the comments on there. You can also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Uh, email us, mandatorysampson at gmail.com. I respond to all of those, and uh, I love the feedback. I really appreciate it. Twitter.com slash mansamp for me. Twitter.com slash Joey from Jersey. Jersey is spelled with a Z to reach this beauty on my right. You can also get in touch with me on Snapchat. I'm at mansamp. Joey, you're also at Joey from Jersey on there, right? Yep. I like Snapchat. It's fun. I like hearing from you guys. Let me know what you think. Uh, make your comments. I really appreciate it. And you can also go to ComedyVoices.com. You can subscribe on there. Listen to all the other great shows we have on the network, Ranting and Raving, the TFM podcast, In the Conversation, whatever else you enjoy. Listen, we love you. We love doing the show, and we're going to continue doing it as long as they'll let us doing it. John, thank you for producing the program. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you all next week with Iowa caucus results. Mwah. <laughs>